The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. It is 6.30 Jet Afternoons, and it's a hump day version. <laughs> Haven't done that in a while. Someone just texted in. One of my truckers texted in. He says, it's hump day. Yep, takes me back to high school. Uh, Gordo joins us in Omagird, um a day early. Yeah, I'm off on a little trip tomorrow, so I thought, yeah, it's just nice you had me in today. We can talk yeah, well, a bit about it. Well, thanks for thanks for popping in. And, uh, you know, first off, just there was, there's been a lot going on oh, man. this week, and uh, I know that you did the No Stone left alone yeah and with uh, our entire global crew were out yeah. there just uh, everybody was out we had uh, the the whole live truck the control room and all the bells and whistles and it was just such an an honor to be part of it again because it was it's broadcast into schools right across yeah. canada now the thing has grown and grown and grown and it's the kids that just make it such a special event you know we're up there with the lieutenant governor and yeah. you know we got the mayor don iveson was there and lots of mlas and yep. mps i had to read a message from the governor general mm-hmm. to the crowd who's emceeing it and i'm there in my role as honorary yeah uh, lieutenant colonel with 15 field and military out they come out and donate their time the Griffins from your squadron. I was going to say, I, I was, yeah, I, I knew that we were um, going to be doing that. I thought but maybe I, you were in the helicopter. I wish, <laughs> uh, but I, I heard in one of the clips, I could hear them coming in. They must, did they did a flyby. They did a flyby. Yeah, yeah and uh, and everything just went, you know, just right on time, like military precision, like, like it's supposed to. The reeds were all laid, but that all being said. At the end of it, and I went down and started talking to some of the kids and taking some pictures, and oh my God, it was, uh, those students are just so into this program. Good. Learning about the, the, the soldiers that are buried in that cemetery, at Beach Mount Cemetery, and putting a poppy and brushing mm-hmm. uh, the leaves away from the grave, and uh, just so uh, moving. But isn't that, you know, isn't that really you know it's the point of it all and it's and it's what we want so we talk about we, yeah, we right. talk about keeping the stories alive and yeah. keeping history yeah. alive and we know we don't have any first world war um vets around anymore our second world war vets are are dying yeah. unfortunately at an alarming rate for it's going to come a well, time in, in the very near now. future we're not going to have very many of, of our of world war one and two vets those no. guys uh, we got korea and vietnam yeah. and afghanistan mm-hmm. but you know what the highlight too was was the kids and then got to introduce uh they did a special guest, uh, Randall and Maureen Purvis, and uh, a Holocaust survivor, speaking of, of how people are fading away, this woman ain't fading away, uh, Eva Olson. 95, 95 years, years old. old. So oh. well-spoken. She was went into Auschwitz, the worst of the worst, looked Joseph Mengele, the Nazi death camp doctor, mm. right, like right in the eye, the director, and... Um, uh, was 19 years old, so she remembers everything. So I put her on, we got her on the 5 o'clock yes. after she talked a little bit out there to the students. They were just, you know, absolutely enthralled with her story. And how lucky are they to be able to actually go tell their grandkids years from now, well, I actually shook hands and met and listened to an Auschwitz camp, death camp survivor talk, and she's talking about bullying and stamping out that hatred, yes. basically. Yeah. So her message is right there in front of them so that, that that's it was big for me absolutely so we absolutely. got her on the five o'clock and told she told more stories like she had 19 family members and she that's only sweet. two herself and her sisters survived the nazi wow. death camp so it's just crazy and it's you think that it's so far away history's so far away but at the same time it's not no you you, you, no. you know you give her a hug and you're you're that's 
living, breathing history right there. Absolutely. With a story none of us can ever forget. No, and and to think, you know, um, having made it through there, and if you've done any reading on that, Mm -hmm. if you even know the basic of what happened there, you know how horrific that was. If you've done any more reading, you know... Uh, yeah. It's just horrendous, absolutely horrendous. The fact that it made it through and survived and then and thrived. Yeah. And, you know, so many years later is willing to, to tell her story, talk yeah. about what happened and, and share it. I know it's amazing. I put the whole, uh, you can watch if you're interested, watch the whole interview. I put it all out there. It's on Twitter. It's also Global News. Global Edmonton's got it on. Just Google yeah. her, her name and our interview will come up. It's five minutes long. And she goes into how she survived and, you know, uh, exactly the hardship that went in, how the cattle cars drove. They thought they're going to a brick factory Mm -hmm. in Germany when the Mm -hmm. Nazis put them on these cars, hundreds of them. And then uh, the door opened up and they're in Poland, right in front of Auschwitz. No clue where they were. How terrifying would that be? Little kids Unreal. are with them. Yeah. So anyway, the whole story is on, is on the internet okay. right now from the 5 o'clock. So we'll check that out. Yeah, and please I think, do. Uh, I think I'm, we're going to hopefully hear from her later on uh, this week. I'm going to play a little bit more from, from that ceremony as yeah. well. Because Friday, um, that's the last day of shows before Remembrance Day. And we tend to do a Remembrance yeah, Day-themed right. yep. show on that. Nice. So I think that that's going to be uh, a part uh, of that. Actually, I know it's going to be a part of that because I think that message needs to be heard. And, and deserves uh, to be heard. But, yeah, boy, oh, boy, it, uh, so that's it's busy a busy times. week. Yeah, it <laughs> busy is. Busy times. Yeah. And uh, how's your back doing from standing out in the cold? It's sore. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, uh, you know, you never think it was. We were a lot better off. This there, They could have been the next day. We had, you know, a couple inches of snow, and it was minus 16. So yeah. we're out there. It's minus 3. Yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, you think, oh, this is great. And then the next day you feel it. Because oh, yeah. you're standing on concrete for Absolutely. an hour and 15 yeah. minutes. And it's cold. And, you, and remember, it's day will be no different. All our vet- veterans and military will be absolutely. outside at a lot of ceremonies. And you, you, you kind of pay the price. I must be getting old or something. I, I always think of when I see, you know, people standing, uh, you know, on parade. Yeah. And, you know, for, sometimes those parades last, uh, you know, quite a while. And yeah. certainly we'll have them. And we have the cadets come out. And they're, <laughs> and it's like, oh, my goodness, how many are going to, yeah. you know, collapse? I can't stand solitary, not, you know, not moving. I know. For, for longer than a minute. Well, yeah. And look let at, alone a couple of hours. And look at the soldiers are standing at the Senate. Absolutely. Holding it. We had one last year. We were at um, Beverly. Mm. We're going there again on Monday with my unit, the 15 field. And uh, uh, last year, yeah, it, it was, I don't think it was that cold on Remembrance Day. We had a, we had a young soldier go, she went down. Yeah. And it was scary because yeah. right in the middle of the ceremony and, yeah. you know, we're, we're medics. My, my group is medics. <laughs> That's right. But we're waiting for the ambulance to try to get through the crowd. Mm. And it took 15 minutes and she's fine. Mm. But you, I've seen that in the heat, but I yeah. haven't seen it in the cold before. Well, I think, it, and I'm not sure necessarily that it matters if it's cold or if it's hot. I think it's actually just the not moving and if you've yeah. not eaten, you know, that sort of thing. And yeah. they talk about, you know, wiggling your toes to... Right. And to, to keep things moving. And they're not wearing uh, downfilled Mm-mm. Canada parkas, they, <laughs> right? The rest of us. Yeah, like they, they've got their, their uniforms on. That Beverly Cenotaph is uh, is beautiful. It was just all redone a couple of years ago. I think, yeah, I, I emceed the rededication yeah. of that. It, it was pretty cracked. They, they did a beautiful job fixing it all it's up. the oldest cenotaph. Yeah, it's uh, like one of the oldest in, in Canada. Can- it's yeah. definitely the oldest in Alberta. Mm-hmm. It goes back to 1920. You can see old pictures of them having Remembrance Day services there in 1922. Yeah. That's pretty cool to be standing in the same spot.
That goes back. Well, the Remembrance Day service at the Butter Dome gets underway at 10.30. So be in your chairs, you know, by 10.30 uh, on Monday. But Monday, it's also yeah. going to air on global television again this year. So if you can't Good. make it down there. Um, and it looks like it's going to be about minus 8, minus 9 for a high that day. I'm not yeah. sure what the temperature will be then. So if, you, if you're looking for an indoor ceremony, right. um, you know, come join us uh, join and us it, at that one. And it's spectacular. I'd love to. i got to someday when I'm not at the, Be- at the Beverly Center, <laughs> I'm going to come to that one because it's such a great colorful there's so many people and and uh, it's it's quite a, yeah. a visual yeah experience. it's quite the parade we have a we have a great turnout for it so yeah. looking forward to that just putting the finishing touches on that this evening talking about putting the finishing touches on something you have a big presentation yeah this is this is different coming up and you know what so why don't we take a break here yeah. and then when we come back we can talk about this but you're heading to vegas yeah i got a little talk there at the mob museum <laughs> a little talk <laughs> just a little talk at the mob museum in vegas Gord will tell us all about that after this. Uh, Gord Steinke in studio with me this afternoon, uh, an early edition of Oh McGird as he heads to Vegas tomorrow. So Yeah, bright uh, and early. Yeah, so you're heading down there to right. do... Uh, t- I'm doing a presentation. It's a speaking engagement about the Canadian connection about with mobsters. And I'm at the Mob Museum, which is the old courthouse in Las Vegas, which is a thrill to be standing in there. Um, I've been there. That's how I sort of got the gig. I was down there watching the Golden Knights one time. This is like a year and a half ago. Yeah. So in my, uh, the day before I came home, I went to the Mob Museum. I thought, this is cool, because I wrote the book, Mobsters yeah. and Rum Runners of Canada, years ago. And uh, I still talk about it, of course, to teachers and students, and it's a lot of fun, and I've updated it a couple of times. Yeah. So I'm down there, and I saw they're selling it in the gift shop. Oh. So I said to him, hey, I wrote that book. That's kind of fun. He goes, well, let me get the general manager. So the guy, he comes down, and uh, we talked a bit about it. He says, you know, we don't have a lot about the Canadian connection, except we've got a picture of... I saw, I said, well, you've got a picture of Sam Bronfman there, who, mm-hmm. who became the Seagram's Empire. Yeah. But he started with uh, bootlegging in Saskatchewan. <laughs> so I, I said, well, that's how I started the book. I did a lot of research. And he goes, oh, that's fascinating. He says, we get a lot of Canadians here, too. Would you be interested in coming down, maybe talking about it someday? I said, I'd love to. Of course, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Plus, just being in that... You know, they've got Dutchie Schultz's handguns. They got Al Capone's leg irons. They've, you know, it, you're in the yeah. you're in the moment. It's a beautiful museum. So I said, sure. And that's I think I signed the contract like last November. We he said, okay, we're going to do this. And they made all the arrangements, all the stuff, flight arrangements and stuff like a year ago. So oh now, my gosh! Here it is, and I'm heading out 7 a.m. tomorrow morning, and then I'll get to get into Vegas, and then uh, tomorrow night, my talk starts at seven, and I talk for it's 45 minutes, okay. just talking about. How this all came together. It would be so much fun saying Moose Jaw in front of a bunch of <laughs> Americans. Nice. Won't that be good? And then uh, talk about the Al Capone connection and how I kind of solved the riddle of uh, was he there or was he not there mm. with his henchmen and stuff. And that started the first chapter. And then it went from there. It just kind of went through Lone Pine Publishing. Yes. They, they kind of yeah. egged me on some more and said, go find another one. Go right across the country. And sure enough, province to province to province, there was a story of families and bootleggers kind of helping out organized crime because we didn't have prohibition here. Yeah. So I'm going to stress that, hey, the Canadians weren't doing anything illegal. <laughs> but it was those organized gangsters that, yeah. that were fueled organized crime with prohibition, and then they were getting good Canadian whiskey across the border. It's crazy it's to crazy. think that Moose Jaw yeah. was a... Hotbed. Well, it's, yeah. Well, Why lo- was that? Well, that's, a, that's the number one question that started this whole thing. And... And I love explaining this because I've got a map of the Sioux Line Railway Network okay. in 1920. And Prohibition started in 1919 in the States. So you take a look at the ma- this, this map, and the Sioux Line Railway goes right from Chicago. And all you have to do is follow it up through Minneapolis, 
goes right to Estevan, mm. goes right to Moose Jaw. But it joined up with the Canadian Pacific rail yep. line. So all in Al Capone's hideout was in Wisconsin, about 50 miles off that rail line. And so when he got kicked out of, um, I always tell the crowd, when, they got, when he got kicked out of Chicago, the mayor said, that's it, we're cracking down on organized crime. They kicked him out for a little while. He went north, and he was looking for more booze, and he went out to his little hideaway There's in Wisconsin. And then there's I just got court records and newspaper articles and stories from people in Moose Jaw of sightings of him and his henchmen getting, you know, thrown in jail for beating up a few people. Yeah. Getting, these yeah. guys were the worst of the worst. Yeah. They were just crazy henchmen. These. So he, Capone was in Moose Jaw? Well, that's what uh, I'm 99% sure he was. I mean, there's no <laughs> pictures of him sitting in a hotel room at the Royal yeah. Hotel. Yeah. But I did talk to two people uh, over the course of the research. Who One was the, the grandson of a doctor who got called to a hotel room in uh, at the Royal Hotel. Yes. One uh, one very cold evening, and there was uh, the man sitting in there who had tonsillitis. <laughs> he couldn't even, it was all swollen up, and he says, you're going to have to have your ton- tonsils out. And uh, he said this guy, he was going to give him an anesthetic and do it right in his ho- hotel room, and he says, no, 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 you don't give me any anesthetic. He says, I don't need that. He says, I don't want to go to sleep or something oh. weird could happen. And so he took his tonsils out without any oh. anesthetic. And you can't make this stuff up. He said that man was Al Capone. So you can't really make those kind of stories up. They got passed down. Yeah. And that was one hearsay. Another one was a newspaper boy that was there that would deliver a... And he said he was such a great... If he was in the room... Because in those days, you could go out the out the hallway down to the basement. And I've been in the boiler back in the days when I played in, in a band. We yeah. used to go into the Royal Hotel. And behind the furnace, there was there was the bricks had been taken out and you could stick your head inside and just see this network of tunnels, which to this day has now been turned into a bit of a... Uh, a real attraction. So, so those tunnels, where did they extend to? Just underneath Moose Jaw, underneath or Moose Jaw, under, underneath mostly the hotels and a few houses. Because over the years, there's been a few fires in Moose Jaw, mm-hmm. and that reveals, oh, look, there was a tunnel that's connected <laughs> to another house of somebody or another hotel. But the main thing was it went right down to where the rail station was. That's where they came out, so they could get uh, people in Moose Jaw or the farming communities, if they were making moonshine, could bring it into the hotels or, or just get underground and bring it right out and and load up the freight cars. And within about two days, they'd be back in Chicago. Those, those uh, the Mountaineer, it was called, the locomotive. Yeah. Would just, uh, those things flew. So he was running booze back down to sh- south? To, to Chicago because they, yeah, they had nothing. They had the nothing speaking. there. So would be whoever yeah. was doing moonshining or whatever up here. It was great Canadian whiskey. We had, you know. <laughs> of course the, it is. And the Ukrainians were making wonderful vodka. And that's where Sam Bronfman comes yeah. in. Yeah. He was, uh, actually ran a pharmaceutical company out of Yorkton, Saskatchewan. And he had, um. I guess what you call um, medicinal alcohol, and they and they would sell it. And if you wanted vodka, it would be clear. But if you wanted rum, you just mix in a little molasses. <laughs> you know, if you wanted gin, there'd be a little lemon taste that would be added in, and then they would actually sell it to you through prescription. And that's how Sam Bronfman got the start. So his picture's down at the Mob Museum. So they they kind of knew that he was involved with Al Capone and and the and the mobsters from Dutchy Schultz, and then right across right to Montreal. Sarnia was another hotbed. The purple, really? the purple gang in Detroit. Yeah. They were they were rivals of Al Capone, but they were even worse than his gang. And I'll go into detail about that. Yeah. That was another chapter. So yeah, it's one after the other. And then I I can't help but say you know I'm talking about Moose Jaw, but you know Moose Jaw to this day it's still making headlines. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to show that picture of the moose and say <laughs> the, the biggest moose. rack in the world. <laughs> And that ought to get a laugh. <laughs> so it's still out there. But anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, how long, you, how long did it take you to write that book? Like, how, did, how long did you research it for? How long did it... 
That was a good three year. Yeah. It was a good year and a half research, and then uh, and then it was two about two years writing it. It was yeah. supposed to take about a year, but it was you know because you're you're working full time and it was a labor of love. I just yeah, absolutely wrote a lot of that. One of the stories which is fun. There was an update about five years ago. I did when Amelia Piccarello, a bootlegger out of Fernie Crow's Nest Pass, and uh, Florence Lissandra, they were caught for murdering uh, Constable Steve Lawson in the Crow's Nest Pass, mm. running rum into B.C. from Alberta. So they were tried in Lethbridge, and within about an hour of a trial, the, they both blamed each other. She was kind of his mistress. She was actually his, his son's uh, girlfriend. But okay. it looks like, when you look at it, it looks like these two were spending... Okay. He was 40-year-old Italian immigrant who was known as sort of the Emperor Pick, the Robin Hood of Crow's Nest Pass wow. back in the 20s. Anyway, the judge said, okay, you're blaming her, and, and she's blaming him, you're both guilty, and I sentence you both to be executed, and you're going to be hanged by the neck until you're dead. So they put them on a train from Lethbridge, and they didn't get to say goodbye to their families or anything. And so Amelia Piccarello and Florence Lissandro were taken to the Fort Saskatchewan jail, and that's where they were hanged mm. in May of, uh, I believe, 1921. Fort Saskatchewan. So I, I, I got to think that then the book was published, and I got to thinking, I wonder where they're buried. Did the families take the bodies, or what happens? And uh, make a long story short, I, I, over the years, people were giving me bits of information, and we found out that they were buried at the St. Joachim Cemetery in Edmonton in an unmarked grave, because the families didn't want to have anything to do with either <laughs> one of them, which was sad. <laughs> But they decided no. Uh, so I went, and the, one of the curators of the of the cemetery, he said, "There's a moratorium on when we can release information on graves." So that was another four years, and then it was all released to me. And in it, we found there was $2,500 that had been left by somebody in Amelia Piccarello's family, and that was for for uh, headstones. So what what I did was. I took that money and we put headstones down in St. Oh, Joaquin wow. Cemetery. So there's Amelia Piccarello and Florence Sander. They're buried side by side. It's on the east side of uh, St. Joaquin Cemetery. So you can take school kids in there. Yeah. Or history buffs can go and go, wow, there's two bodies here that are part of a, a wild part of Alberta's prohibition past and tied in with the gangsters. And here they rest, but nobody in their family wanted, wanted anything, anything, to, do anything to do with them. So that wow. story, it didn't just die when they were hanged. You can go there and, and take a look. And it doesn't stop. Yeah, again, you're probably finding out uh, more stuff, little little snippets here, oh, there, yeah, everywhere. Because people were still, when I was researching the book, were, were terrified to talk about gangsters Oh, absolutely, still, yeah. And they still are because, you know, Al Capone still has a lot of connections. Yeah. The mafia, despite what people say, they're still going strong. So you have to be a little bit careful about what stories you tell from the 20s and 30s. If you want to find out more, you can check out Gord's book. It's online. Yeah, they're still, and they sell it at Canadian Tire, too, I believe, right now. <laughs> Canadian Tire. Favorite store. Or give him a show. Maybe you want him to come to speak to one of your groups. You can hire him to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Have fun well, in Vegas. You. I hope it goes uh, well. I know it will, and enjoy enjoy your time down there. Well, I love talking about Canadian history to Americans. It's <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Someone videotape that. You should yeah. videotape that. I'll try. Have a great one. Uh, the Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.